Yo, everybody. Welcome to Talking with Apple's podcast, where we talk about everything mobile development. I'm your host, Apple's Pajapples, or just PJ. And on this episode of Talking with Apple's, we talk all about Firebase. Let's jump straight into it. Welcome to another episode of Talking with Apple's. Today, we're going to be chatting to Peter. He's a developer advocate on the Firebase team. And we're going to be chatting about, you guessed it, Firebase. Uh, this it will be a little bit focused around a little bit of iOS because Peter focuses on iOS and Firebase, uh, which is really, really cool. So this is going to be a really, really cool talk. Welcome, Peter. Thanks. Thanks for having me. Yeah. Um, so today's podcast is, like I mentioned, um, focused on Firebase. Um, Firebase is a really, really great tool that has come a long way. Um, I've been using it for, for many years. Um, but I think maybe we can, we can start it off, um, Peter, and maybe we can just chat about, um, what is Firebase? Cause some of our listeners might not know about it. I've, I've also noticed in the iOS community a little bit, like, um, people, a lot of iOS developers might think that, um, Firebase is a, is a Google tool, um, and maybe it only works on Android. I don't know. Um, but a lot of people don't really, um, always know about Firebase. So maybe we can just give a brief introduction around what is Firebase, um, and it's 20 products <laughs> that it has out there. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Firebase essentially is a platform or a toolkit that makes developing applications easier. That's essentially the gist of it. So, and it's got um, three main pillars. Um, one is building better apps. The other one is improving app quality. And the third one is growing your, your business, growing your audience. And um, as you mentioned, there are a ton of products in Firebase. And um, maybe, you know, I can, I can just uh, talk a, um, about a few of these. So um, if we look at building apps, then um, a lot of times, well, many times that you, you're building an application, there are so many things that you need to do in order to get your application off the ground. Um, so most applications that we're talking these days need to store some data somewhere. And uh, instead of rolling your own database and building out your own backend servers, Firebase provides you with products that make that easy. So for example, there is Cloud Firestore, which is a NoSQL database, which allows you to store data in the cloud and synchronize that with your client applications um, on iOS, on Android, or the web. So that's one thing that Firebase gives you. Another thing that it gives you is easier authentication. So um, you you need to know who your users are. You need to protect your data or your, your users' data. And Firebase authentication makes that easy. So instead of having to implement your own authentication system and um, managing passwords and making sure that um, your authentication system doesn't get hacked and stuff like that, Firebase provides Firebase authentication, which is um, very flexible um, and um, integrates with many existing authentication mechanisms. So for example, you can use it to let users sign in with email and password, 
or you can use it to let them sign in using um, email and link. So they, they will get sent a magic link that they click on in order to sign in. Um, it integrates with um, identity providers such as Google sign-in or sign-in with Apple or a Facebook login. So users who already are signed in on one of those providers can um, come into your application with a, sim a simple click. Um, and, um, you know, by, by that have a very frictionless um, onboarding experience. So these are two of the very basic products in, um, in, in this build pillar. And then there's things like um, hosting, which allows you to host your static or dynamic web um, sites on Firebase. Um, there is cloud storage, which is um, a scalable solution for storing large amounts of data, such as images, videos, what have you. And these are some of the products in the build pillar. Um, and then in terms of improving app quality, there are things like Crashlytics, um, which um, gives you better insight into, you know, why did my app crash and um, how many crash reusers do I have and things like that. There is performance monitoring to figure out um, where bottlenecks might be in your application. We've got Test Lab, which gives you um, access to physical and virtual devices to test your applications on both for iOS and Android. Um, there is app distribution, which makes it um, easy for you to distribute your application to your testers and get their feedback across platforms. And then in the grow part, we've got products like Google Analytics, of course, um, which is one of the base products in there, um, which allows you to, to see, um, you know, what your users did in your application, which screens they visited, how long they stayed on, which screen and things like that. Um, there is A-B testing for figuring out, um, should I use a blue button or a red button? Uh, what's mm -hmm. more successful? Um, and um, remote config to, um, to remotely be able to change behavior in your app and turn on certain features. For example, you might want to run a campaign, um, for example, you want to do something special for a national holiday, and then you can um, integrate that in your application. And then um, once the day comes, you, you can turn this feature on and um, you won't have to roll out a new version of your application and you know hit that date, but instead you'll be able to, um, to remotely control that. Um, and there, there are a lot more products uh, than just these, but, you know, just to give you a, a quick taste of what's in there. And then across all of these, um, there, there are um, cross-cutting products. For example, there is Firebase Extensions, which is um, relatively new, and it is a way for, um, for, for us and also for um, external developers to build functionality that spans across multiple single products and allows you to um, um, build kind of components that you can deploy in, into your application. Um, so one example is um, resizing images. That's something that a lot of applications need to do. For example, if you have um, a recipe app, um, your users might want to upload images um, of the food they cooked. And then um, depending on 
uh, where you want to display this information, you need um, various sizes of those images. So you want to have a thumbnail image that you show in a list overview. And then once the um, a reader goes into the application and wants to have a closer look at the image, you want to have a larger version of the image. So you need to do image resizing. And instead of doing that your own, on your own uh, and having to implement that across all of the platforms that your application supports, you can use the Resize Images Firebase extension, which we will, which you can deploy into your Firebase application, and it consists of um, a function that will be deployed, and you can configure it, and you can tell it to monitor a specific um, path in your cloud storage bucket, and then once you upload an image to this path, it will automatically do the computation, um, resize the images, and store those resized images back into um, this path, um, um, adhering to the sizes that you specified. So it's very flexible. Um, and, you know, it's literally uh, a matter of a couple of minutes to go in, install this extension, and you've got this functionality without having to implement something. And it's, you know, a uh, great thing is it's been tested. It, it just works out of the box. And there are many more um, extensions like that. Yeah. And I think, I think something that you mentioned that I've, that I've noticed about Firebase is that Firebase works really, really well with all of its products. So if you, if you're using um, the cloud storage and you're using the database, and then you're also using these new extensions that you've, um, that you've just mentioned, then it actually works really, really well um, to actually get all that functionality and and have that integration into your database, into your cloud storage, even having your authentication um, that's, that's right there within Firebase and it's linked to that specific database where you can actually write a whole bunch of rules around that specific um, user and how they would be able to use or access specific things. Um, yeah, absolutely. So, um, I mean, um, probably the biggest difference uh, when, when using Firebase from building a traditional um, um, three-tier application. So, you know, um, if you didn't use Firebase, you'd probably have um, your mobile applications and then you'd have your database server somewhere and maybe a storage server somewhere. And then you'd have an API layer that um, you put in front of your storage and database server. And then all your mobile applications talk to this API layer. Um, and, you know, if, if you want to do it properly and you know you have user data in there, then you need to protect this user data because you can't let um, other people just read um, your user's data. So uh, this, this data needs to be protected. So you need to somehow make sure that the, the user authenticates and they have some sort of um, security token that they can show to your API layer and, and, and prove that it's actually them. And then your API server needs to make sure that it only accesses data that um, is valid for this user, doesn't access any other data. So, you know, I can't see your images, for example. Um, and this is complicated. Um, you know, this is a lot of work that you have to do. Um, and in Firebase, what happens is that you directly access your 
database. You directly access your storage. So there needs to be something which ensures that um, user A can't access the data that belongs to user B, right? And this is the security rules that you mentioned, where you can um, very specifically and, and on in a fine-grained way model which kind of data users are able to see and what they are able to read and what they are allowed to write and where they may delete data and things like that. Because, you know, some data is shared across all users, right? You know, it's it's public and everyone is, is allowed to see that, but not everybody is allowed to read or modify that. And then uh, you can set up rules to, to specify exactly um, how people are able to access that. And by, by introducing this uh, security rules layer, um, you, you are able to um, let clients directly access the database because you've got this security rules layer which acts as a, as a, as a security layer to prevent any um, access that you didn't intend to. Yeah, and I think, I think that's great because at the end of the day, um, you, you mentioned that Firebase obviously has this whole authentication layer also um, with um, Firebase Auth, and there's a whole bunch of providers in there. And I think if you had to have some kind of like API layer um, and you had to actually um, provide the, your users with the ability to log in with Google and log in with um, signing with Apple and all of those things, and then you still needed to... So, connect to those identification servers and then also tell your API um, that you are the person that um, you want, who is supposed to be accessing the specific data, um, that can get very, very complicated. And I think authentication mm -hmm. um, and security alone is a complication all on its own. Um, and we have <laughs> we have a lot of special people in the world that, that do literally security <laughs> only. Um, so this is, it's, re it's really, really great that you can kind of like put this whole thing together. Um, but diving a little bit into, to authentication a little bit, like, um, maybe you can explain like how, how this whole situation works. Um, cause you mentioned the security rules. Um, and how does, how does the database know based on signing with Apple or signing with Google and the security rules that this person is that specific person? Um, and, Maybe, maybe even how these identification servers work within Firebase. Mm -hmm. Yeah, sure. So um, as you mentioned, um, Firebase authentication supports a number of um, providers, essentially, that you can use. Um, and as a developer, you'll go into the Firebase console and then you can turn them on um, individually. So for example, if you'd like to use um, email and um, email link authentication, uh, then you go into the Firebase console, turn that on, and then um, maybe you want to use sign-in with Apple as well, turn that on, and then those two um, authentication mechanisms are available to your application um, to use, and then you can either um, go ahead and implement the UI for signing in yourself, so um, in your application, build a screen that... Um, ask the user to provide their email address or um, use the sign in with Apple button, put it on the screen and then have them click on that and then handle um, the local flow yourself. And then 
call the respective Firebase APIs in order to do the token exchange and um, get the, um, the Firebase user yourself. But we also have Firebase UI, which has an authentication module that basically will automatically react to all the uh, the providers that you've turned on. So um, you, you can tell it, okay, so I want to use this and that authentication provider, and it will show you um, what we call um, the NASCAR screen. It's called NASCAR <laughs> because, you know, in the NASCAR races, you have all the, the stickers on the car. Um, and if you, if you have a sign-in screen with uh, a lot of sign-in uh, mechanisms enabled, you've got all those buttons, you know, sign with Google's, uh, Facebook yeah. login, sign with Apple and, and things like that. That's uh, why it's called the NASCAR screen. So you've got this screen and then um, in, in Firebase UI, user taps on, let's say they choose to um, sign in with uh, with Apple. So tap on that, sign in with Apple store, uh, flow starts, and then um, everything else is um, handled by the SDK for you. Um, and then at the end of the flow, if everything went smoothly, the user actually um, went through the entire sign-in flow and confirmed that they wanted to sign in, you will receive a Firebase user. And that has um, a couple of properties, such as um, the person's name, in case they decided to share this name with you, right? So in, uh, you know that in, in signing with Apple, uh, the user can decide to not share their email address or not share their full name or they can modify their full name. Um, but, you know, you, you get these pieces of information and also a user ID. And this user ID is an opaque piece of information. So you can't, you know, you have a look at that and you can't tell anything from looking at this user ID. It's just a random string of, of characters and numbers. Um, and uh, this user ID you can then use to, um, to, to access um, or to, to model how the data is stored. So, for example, if um, if your application is, let's say, a to-do application and you wanted to allow users to track all of their tasks, then there are two ways how you might want to model that in Firestore. So one option might be to have all the to-do items in one collection. So your to-dos, my to-dos, everything in one collection. So, but how do you tell them apart? And one way is to have a field on your to-do document which says this to-do belongs to user so-and-so. So what you do is you, you have this field and then when I create a new to-do item in my iOS app, for example, um, I will use this user ID that I get from reading the Firebase user, put that into the document in the user ID field, store that into Firestore, and then when uh, times, time comes around to show the user all their items, all their to-do items, what you will do, you will run a query on, on this collection and you will tell um, uh, uh, your snapshot listener, I want to execute a query which shows me all the to-do items, but only the ones where the user ID equals to this user ID, right? So that, that's the first step. So now you might be wondering, okay, but doesn't that mean that 
um, I might be able to see your to-do items as well because, you know, I can run a query that says, give me all of them. Give me, give me all the to-do items. So this is where security rules come in. Um, so basically you'll write a security rule which says only authenticated users may write into this collection. That's the first step. Also, um, only users um, may see items where the items user ID equals to the user ID of the authorized and authenticated user. So that means everyone who is signed in may only see their own items, their own to-do items, right? So that is one way how you um, uh, could model um, this kind of this kind of data. Another way might be um, for each user, you might have a sub-collection. So you have a collection uh, called tasks, and then there is a sub-collection for each user. And the, the path or the name of the collection um, might be their user ID, right? And then when you want to run a query, um, you'll, you'll specify the path. The path to that collection, you'll say, okay, the path is slash tasks slash user ID. And then in your security rule, again, um, you will do what I just described, but you'll make sure that uh, the security rules apply to this path. So to make sure that I can't write into your collection, you can't write into my collection, and we can't see each other's to-do items. And then obviously, if you want to share information, so let's say um, we wanted to implement a functionality in our to-do application where you can share tasks, then you need to come up with um, some smart way to model um, user groups, for example, and you, you know make sure that you, you or you could specify individual users who can access your data. So you need to find some way to in your application um, model your your uh, your user groups and then say, okay, this group of people over here they may have access to this collection as well, or to or to tasks which have a group ID that matches the ID of that group, right? Yeah. So um, every time you access your data in that way, the uh, security rules engine basically kicks in, has a look at the request that you're sending um, and verifies, hey, who's that user? Um, and does the user information match the security rule? Yeah, and, and that's actually quite interesting because it's it's a very simple, the security rules are, are quite a, like a simple way of um, almost visualizing the, the specific logic that you kind of want to put out there. So it's very like there's a user, it's the authenticated user, there's a UID, and if this equals this specific UUID, then authenticate this user to um, be able to have access to these specific parts um, or this specific storage bucket. Um, and I think that makes it really, really um, easy for people that are not security experts um, to just look at something that's um, maybe like a, it's like a bunch of booleans, um, just like some maybe some JavaScript. I mean, I don't even know if that's if the security rules really have a real language to it. Um, like if if there's like if it's supposed to be JavaScript or whatever, I'm I'm not sure. But um, the I'm just saying like. 
I think just being able to write like your own specific, very simple logic um, and then the security rules engine kind of just like powers everything in the back and actually just does everything for you. Mm -hmm. I think it just makes it easy for any kind of individual developer, um, maybe someone that's um, that's doing an app by themselves firstly um, and they don't have a massive team or even people that are, are building things in big teams um, and they they want to they don't have maybe a security expert to be able to do all of these things. I think this um, this mechanism helps quite a bit um, when when you're thinking about these um, these kind of like helper products um, mm -hmm. to to make sure that you can get an application that's actually secure at the end of the day um, and that actually works um, the way it, it way it's expected. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And you know, uh, one thing that. Um, you know, I, I encourage people to do is actually write meaningful security rules. You know, it's it's easy to go in and say, oh, um, I'm in development mode and, um, you know, uh, all those security rules are getting in the way. I can't read the data I want to. I, I'll fix this later on. Um, but, you know, uh, don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Proper security rules to make sure that at any given time, only the users who are actually allowed to read and write data are actually able to do that. Um, you know, you you don't want to be the person who ends up in the news because you turned off the security rules to your uh, to your application, and then people were able to to access um, other people's data. Don't do that. Yeah. Yeah, don't do that. <laughs> yeah, like, and I, I think, I think that even um, um, on that, I'm actually just, um, I'd love to segue to um, something also in the auth realm still, um, which is anonymous authentication that I've seen that Firebase has, um, mm -hmm. and this is this is something that's really really cool because it's a situation where you don't technically need to be a registered user or use any of the providers that uh, Firebase provides, but you can still kind of log in. Um, can you maybe talk a little bit about how that actually works? Yeah, so um, so Anonymous Auth solves a problem that um, many applications have. So if you, if you look at um, App Store reviews, um, a topic that often comes up is that people complain, oh, this application here, wants me to sign in before I actually can start using it, right? So, and and that is just terrible user experience. So, um, yeah. you know, as an application developer, you do want to uh, be able to acquire as many users, um, loyal users as possible. And you don't want to um, set up a speed bump <laughs> Um, or a sign-in wall uh, upfront and prevent people from actually trying out your application. So, and the reason why, why I think there there are many reasons why that happens. Um, but one of the reasons often is that you need some sort of identifier to be able to store the user's data. And if you don't have an identifier, then you don't know how should I identify their data. So here is where um, anonymous authentication comes in. Anonymous authentication allows you as a developer to say, okay, um, 
I need some sort of ID. I need the user's ID in order to um, tell their data apart from another user's data. But I don't want them to have to sign into my application before they can start using it. So what you do is at the startup of your application, you call um, auth.signin um, anonymously. That will essentially do a round trip to the authentication backend and get you a UUID for a new user. So we, we essentially create a new user in, um, in the Firebase authentication database for you, and you will get a unique user ID for that user. And then you can just continue doing what you would do for any other user who has identified themselves. But instead, in this case, the user didn't have to click on anything. They didn't have to provide any sort of personal detail. They didn't have to give their name, their email address, their phone number, nothing. It's just, it, it, it's basically your application calls to the authentication backend and says, I need a user ID and we give you one. That That's it. We don't even look at the device ID, right? So it's, it's you, you get a new ID. So, um, and then later on, let's assume um, the user has started using your application and played around with it, and then they really like what they see. Um, it's a beautiful user interface. Um, everything is um, uh, well thought out. Um, they can do what they want, um, and it meets their needs. And then they they decide, okay, so I th I think I'm gonna stick around with this application. And then at one point. They, you know, maybe your application allows them to share data with their friends or family. And at that point, you need them to identify themselves because, um, you know, if, if, for example, they wanted to share a recipe with a friend, uh, it would be pretty weird if your application sent their friend an email and said, oh, look, here is some random person who wanted to share uh, a recipe with you, right? So you, you, you need that kind of personal touch in that case. So you, you need their name and maybe um, more information, maybe a profile picture. So in that moment, you'll ask the user, okay, so now's the time to actually sign in. And then you can um, you know, provide any sign-in mechanism that um, you, you'd like. You, you can um, offer them to use um, Google sign-in or uh, Facebook um, login or sign-in with Apple, um, whatever feels comfortable for you and what you think your um, your target audience is most likely to use. So let's, let's say they sign in with Apple. So what happens in this moment is that all the data they already stored and which is keyed to this anonymous user still is keyed to that anonymous user because the user ID stays the same. But on top of that, they run through the sign-in flow with sign-in with Apple, and then um, you, you connect to their um, Apple user ID, essentially. And they might agree to um, sharing their email address and their full name with you. And now that token comes back, and this is now connected to the existing anonymous user ID. So you've upgraded your anonymous user to a known user. And this user can now sign in on other devices using sign in with Apple and get access to all of the data they already 
um, you know, built up in the application on their other device where they initially used the anonymous user. So this is a great onboarding mechanism because, um, as I said, you don't have to put up um, a sign-in page at the front of your application. You can just let your user come in, um, experiment with the application, and then later on upgrade to a full user. And also, um, on, on the flip side, you know, um, you, you, you might be tempted to say, okay, um, users can, can continue using their anonymous ID. Um, but, um, this, this has a slight drawback. So let's assume I have a couple of devices. So let's say I've got, um, an iPad, I've got an Android device, and I've got my my computer. So I start using the application on an Android device, for example, using an anonymous um, user. And then I want to use that data on my iPad. So I go to the iPad, um, start the application, I download the application there, and then um, I don't see my data. Why is that? Because I, you know, I get a different anonymous ID there, right? So the, the, the iPad application goes to the authentication back and says, hey, here's a new user. Uh, we need uh, an anonymous user ID and it gets a new anonymous ID, but that's a different one than the one that I got for my Android application, right? Because um, to the system, it looks like it's a different user. So, and that is where you actually need to upgrade your users and tell them, okay, so if you want to share data across multiple devices, you need to sign in at one point, right? So um, that that is maybe one of the one of the I don't want to say drawbacks. It's one of the properties of anonymous ID, uh, anonymous user IDs, um, that you know. They look like different users because they are different users. And then um, you, in order to share information with other people or with other devices, you need to sign in using um, one other identity provider. Yeah, I think I think it's more also a situation where you're going to need to um, link. You're going to need to link these two accounts to a specific um, ID, let's say. And that ID could be, is obviously maybe your email address. And that's something that's unique to you. Um, so there's no real way for you to really um, like put two put two users all the way together without actually giving something um, towards the identification server. Yeah. Um, and telling it like, hey, this is me. Um, and this is also me on this other device. Yeah. Um, so that I can actually be like, oh, cool. Let me like merge this data together or let me get this. Um, this data across, um, mm -hmm. and yeah, I think I think that's that's um, a pretty cool thing because I mean I know that I I have this thing with like with UX. Um, I really like really good UX um, in an application, and when I recently downloaded an app um, like a few days ago, and automatically I opened it up and it told me I needed to sign in with some provider, and then I just mm -hmm. deleted the app because I was like. Like all I want, there's like there's a, like sixty of the same apps. Your mm -hmm. UI looked the greatest, but now you're asking me to give you information. Um, so like I think this anonymous auth um, is definitely something where um, if if you are out there and you're trying to create an application and you you automatically want users, users don't really want to give people information right up front, um, especially with all these privacy um, laws and all the privacy things that are happening out in the world. Um, 
I think the, um, these types of products like Anonymous Auth help um, help with a really great user experience if you really do need to have a user um, authenticate in some way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. And yeah, so and then that kind of like um, segues, segues into like more more modern more modern um, iOS um, topics. So. Um, in terms of um, Firebase and all the new things that are coming out that, that happened at WWDC in the last two years, which is combined in Swift UI, mm-hmm. um, these these are something these are things that are really exciting for iOS developers, um, especially combined because it's a great reactive framework. Um, mm-hmm. There was there was obviously there's always been Rx Swift um, that you could use, um, but now we have combined something native from Apple uh, and. I just kind of wanted to find out from you, like, I mean, in terms of maybe there's a roadmap to this in terms of like how combined and maybe Firebase um, will maybe combined, excuse the pun, <laughs> together um, and actually give us, um, give us as um, application developers a really, really great experience because Firebase is real time. So um, that reaction uh, mechanism, there's a lot of callbacks. And maybe if, if it was, again, combined with combined, um, it would actually um, be really, really great. So maybe you can share a little bit around that. Yeah, definitely. So <clears throat> um, I'm, I'm, I'm super excited about um, what Apple is doing at the moment with SwiftUI and Combine. So if you compare the amount of effort you have to put in to build an application from scratch or even even a single screen um, and compare the time you have to put in um, if you do that with UIKit, which is the traditional way of building iOS UIs, um, and then using SwiftUI, like it is it is just such a difference. Um, you know, it is so much easier to build UIs using SwiftUI um, you know, one of the reasons is that there is this two-way synchronization between the source code that you use to declare your UI, and then you can see it live in the preview in your uh, in Xcode. And um, you know, you can make changes in the preview, and they will be reflected in the source code, and vice versa. And it is, um, you know, so easy to build really amazing-looking UIs in. A really short time. So, for example, for one of my recent uh, talks at one of the one of the Firebase meetups, I I created um, a simple uh, DVD um, or or movie application that um, you know allowed users to go and search for movies um, using the um, TMDB API and then show them information about a movie. And um, then they could add that into Firestore and um, it would display a list of all their movies that they've got in their in their database. <clears throat> and I think it just took me about a day or so to to build all of that. And it looked really beautiful. And, um, you know, I think building something similar to, to that um, using UIKit would have taken me a lot more time. So, um, and, and and that is, you know, one one of the things why I, I think um, SwiftUI is so amazing because, um, you know, the way how you specify UIs. And, and it's even, even if you look at the source code, um, you, you know, 
looking at a source code, it allows you to build up this mental model of, oh, I think this UI looks like that, right? So you read the source code and it says, hey, here's a list. And then there is a label inside of that list and there is a stack which, uh, where a label and an image are stacked. And, and then you read the source code and then you, you can see in your mind the UI being built up because the source code is so straightforward. And I, I don't think that something similar to that would be possible with UI kit code, um, even even if you try to to imitate some of that. So this is this is pretty amazing. And then as you mentioned, um combine comes into the equation um as a functional reactive framework which allows you to basically describe the flow of data or how you want to operate on the data. So um Swift UI is you know has this declarative approach to define UIs. And it also says there is a source of truth. And the source of truth is on the data that drives the UI. And the UI is a function of the state of your application. So, you know, for example, um, if you have a, um, a toggle in your UI, an on-off switch, and then there is a Boolean somewhere, then it is obvious that if you wanted to 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 change the the boolean you have to flip the switch right so you flip the switch on the ui the boolean gets toggled but the other way around you also want that to happen so you you change the state of the boolean and then the ui should update and with swift ui this is super easy and super straightforward to build you will just basically say hey this is um a piece of data it has state and i connect my ui to that and they have what's called property wrappers to basically um describe this relationship between the data in your application and the ui and this works for simple data types like state, uh, sorry, for booleans, ints, and strings, and stuff like that. But in many applications, you've got more complex data models, right? So coming back to um, um, to the to-do list, a to-do might have states such as the title of the task or the priority and a due date and, and, and if it's actually done or not. So a lot of information that you want to carry around. So um, you want to model that using a proper data model and Swift UI allows you to do that and mark that up as an observed object. And then in your UI specify that um, your text field, for example, should be bound to your, to the title on your, on your task and, and stuff like that. And then with combine, you can go in and you can specify, for example, if you have a search screen, you can say, okay, whenever the user makes a change to the search field and enters something, then we want to react to that. So for example, you might want to do an API call. And if you do that in a naive way, Every single time the user types a key, then you will send a new API request and that might not be what you want, but instead you want to wait until the user stops typing. And then only then you want to send the API call. So, and with combine, it's super easy to do that. So you basically build a combined pipeline 
um, tell it to um, listen to any changes on this property where the user types their query and then you use the debounce operator um, and you can, you can tell the debounce operator to, to wait for, let's say, um, maybe 300 milliseconds um, for inactivity and only then let the event pass through and, you know, um, go to the next step where you, you take what the user typed, send that into uh, the API, and then wait for the response. So that that's um, one one example how you can use Combine in Swift UI. So coming back to your question of um, what's the relationship between Firebase and the Firebase iOS SDK Combine in Swift UI? So it is at this at this time um, you can use Firebase in a Swift UI application. And I've got tons of example projects out there where I'm doing just that. Um, so you'll, you'll just do what you did in a regular iOS application. So for example, if you want to fetch data from Cloud Firestore, you will set up a snapshot listener and then the snapshot listener has the closure. You wait for the result and you iterate over the uh, the documents that you got back, you map the documents using the codable protocol, and then, um, and this is the first time where uh, the new world comes in. Um, so you 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 take those map documents and you assign them to a property on your view model. And you know, view model um, is a term from MVVM um, model view view model. Um, that's an architecture which lends itself very well um, to be used in Swift UI um, because you, you've got this relationship between your UI, you, you subscribe your UI to a view model and the view model carries the state. So whenever your view model gets updated, your UI will be updated as well. So um, let's 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 come back to this example of the to-do application. So let's assume you're in a list and you want to display all the to-do items for a user, and then you've got the search field. So um, the user types into the search field, you take that, um, you update the query that you use for your um, um, for your snapshot listener. Snapshot listener gets the results back, you map the documents, you transform them into task items, and then you've got this um, basically this array of task items, and then you assign this to the tasks property on your view model, and your UI is subscribed to that collection. And when, at this moment, when you update this, this property up there, which is published, uh, um, your, the Swift UI will take this update and re-render the screen and update the list with any new or filtered um, to-do items that you've got. So this is what you can do today, um, and you know it's it's pretty straightforward, um, and it, it it almost works magically. Um, but um, still, it's you know there's there's still one further step that we'd like to take. Um, and if you look at some of Apple's um, um, APIs, for example, if you if you um, use their APIs to fetch data from a URL, um, they've 
call they've they've got what's called a publisher for URL tasks. So whenever you you make a URL request, you can attach a subscriber to that, and um, once the results come back, you can um, use that subscriber to continue your combined pipeline and do stuff depending on the result. And this is something that we're looking into for the iOS SDK as well, where um, you know there there are so many places where um, you've got asynchronous stuff going on. So, for example, you sent a request for getting, um, for running a query or for fetching data or for pulling information from a storage bucket and stuff like that. Um, and then you want to do something with the result. Um, and we're looking into supporting this with um, publishers for, um, combined publishers um, for for various parts of the API. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we had a hack week where uh, we basically took um, one week off from our regular work um, to look into things that um, we are passionate about. So um, I and a couple of other people looked into combined publishers. Um, and if you go into the iOS SDK um, repository on GitHub, there is a branch where we have the beginnings for combined publishers. Um, and, um, um, you know, we it is basically for a snapshot listener. Um, and, you know, it made the process of subscribing to a collection, mapping the data and returning it into um um, a property on on the UI um, even easier than it currently is. So um, I think it's definitely something that we want to uh, want to build. Um, and um, yeah, we want to want to spend time on 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 building this. Um, maybe um, until the end of the year. Um, I can't make any promises because <laughs> sometimes other stuff comes up. Um, but yeah, it's definitely something that we're looking into. Yeah, because I mean, I, I love that Firebase is obviously open source. Um, so I was digging in the Firebase SDK with the iOS one, and um, I think um, before before um, this podcast we we chatted, and I was like, hey, I saw your name on some on a, on a <laughs> branch called Combined Master, and I was like, is is there going to be combined publishers for um, for Firebase? Which is really exciting because I think that's going to make it really, really easy for us to build Swift UI applications um, mm -hmm. with, um, with Firebase. And, and, I, and I think Firebase being that real-time, um, that real-time, having that real-time listener um, of your data within a database um, and then being able to then replicate, uh, push all that data down to um, an application. Um, and then also having it now with a reactive framework is going to be really, really great. Mm. Um, yeah. I think, I think we're with Rx, um, it was maybe a little bit more complicated. I think, um, Rx is one of those, those frameworks. I mean, no matter what language you're in, um, it can be a little bit complicated, but I think, um, with, with combined, I think Apple's made it um, nice and simple to actually understand this reactive framework. Um, mm -hmm. And make it easier for you to create, like you said, custom publishers for um, for whatever objects that you want to. Um, mm. So that's really really cool. Um, but then also just um, we're, now that we're talking about um, open source um, development, um, the whole Firebase SDK um, is kind of like open sourced, um, 
and everything is just kind of like being built in the open. Um, and that's something that's really, really cool. And I think something that we touched on earlier on were the Firebase extensions. Um, I see that a lot of those extensions are also open sourced um, and they're kind of out there. Um, is um, well, what is what is your guys' like philosophy around like open source development? Um, I think I think it's it's quite big in Google. They love open sourcing things, um, mm-hmm. also working in the open. But in terms of the Firebase team, um, um, well, what is your guys' philosophy around like open source development with Firebase? Yeah, so we we try to develop um, as as many things as possible out in the open. And if you go um, to GitHub, you will um, see all our SDKs are out there, um, and um, you know you you will see people having discussions on 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 issues. So we we do welcome feedback, and it is um, a very good location. Um, to have conversations with the team, right? So the people you will see, um, the the Googlers um, on those repositories actually are the people who build it, right? So it's not, you know, just some marketing or DevRel people um, who who handle with queries queries from developers. No, it's um, really the the people who built the SDKs and and the products who are out there um, looking at your issues. Um, trying to find out, you know, um, what is wrong, how to, how to help, um, and, you know, figure out if this is a bug and Firebase and what we can do about it, or if it is just, you know, something else, maybe, maybe, um, a weird side effect of having many beta versions, you know, these days after WWDC, many people have beta versions of software running on, on their devices. So maybe it's, it's, it's that, or, you know, I've, I've sometimes seen, um, uh, situations where people had, um, some, some DNS blockers installed and then things didn't work. Um, but yeah, um, more often than not, um, there are real issues where there is a bug or um, a situation that um, we we didn't anticipate, and and then we're trying to figure out how to help. So, um, in in this sense, I think it is um, just a great way for for us as a product team to to stay in touch with the community, right? To to hear back from from all of you. Um, what's working, what's not working, um, hear feature requests. Um, you know, we've got a ton of feature requests on, on the repositories. And I think that's, that's great because, um, that helps us understand what's needed. Um, and it's, it's a very direct way of, of getting this kind of feedback. And, um, um, so for example, um, support for the codable protocol. And uh, that is um, a very interesting contribution that came from the community, actually. Um, so one person started building um, the support in, in, in their repository. And then at one point, I think they, um, I don't know if it was actually them or some other person said, um, hey, Firebase team, look at this repository over there where another person has built Codable support. You know, um, so maybe for those who, who don't know what I'm talking about, so Codable is a protocol um, um, in Swift which allows you 
to map data from one representation into another representation. So the, uh, the traditional use case might be you get data from some sort of API and it's in JSON, for example, and then you want to map this into a Swift struct. Um, and uh, if, you, if you have a look at GitHub and look for JSON and Swift, I, I don't know how many frameworks you will find um, that people wrote in order to make this process of mapping data easier. So it's uh, it's almost like a hello world, right? Yeah. <laughs> so right. The, the next step after writing hello world is to write a, a toolkit to map your data from JSON to, to Swift or Objective-C. Yeah. So the Codable um, API is an API that Apple introduced a while ago, which um, makes it really straightforward to map data between one representation and the other. So in, in, in a normal case, there's very, very little that you have to do because they they directly map. And then you have some sort of influence. For example, you can specify what happens with nil values or what happens when there's... Um, name mismatches, you know, for example, you might have underscores in your JSON and you want to map this into um, snake case um, naming in, in, in Swift and stuff like that. So, and before we had support for Codable in, in Firestore, you'd have to map your Firestore documents manually into Swift structs. And obviously that's a lot of manual work and um, you'll ha you'll have to make sure that everything happens in a type safe manner. And then, you know, uh, if you are in a rush, you, you might be tempted to be a little bit more forgiving about, you know, catering for... Um, edge cases and stuff like that. So, you know, your, your application might fall flat um, on, on, on its face if um, there is data that it didn't expect and, and stuff like that. So support for Codable was a call from the community and people asked for, hey, can we please do that? So this person started uh, their contribution in, in their repository. And then at one point, they contributed it to the Firebase repository and said, oh, um, I've been working on this. And then the team had a look at that and said, oh, this, this looks absolutely fantastic. Um, and there were a couple of corner cases that um, needed to be uh, looked after. And then you can see this um, this conversation on one of the, the GitHub issues where there is a conversation between the original contributor and, and the team and they're talking about those things and then the community jumps in and is excited about, hey, can, can we use this? And everybody's like, oh, you know, wait a little bit um, while, we, while we finish this. Um, and then at one point uh, a couple of months ago, um, it was ready for consumption. It was added to the main branch. Um, and ever since you can use, um, codable. And I think this is a great story where, um, you can see that open source, um, has opened this possibility for the community to contribute both in terms of making the request for, Hey, this is a very important feature for us. We really want to use this. Um, and then, also contributing the solution to the problem. And if you think about um, proprietary software, uh, you know, um, several years ago, for example, if you'd, if you, if you'd been using um, a programming environment, there, there simply wasn't a way 
to make contributions to that, right? Um, and I think uh, it is it is absolutely fantastic to see that this is possible these days, and we can all benefit from from being open and contributing to uh, to open repositories. Um, and every every um, year at the end of the year, I think there is. Um, um, well, there, there are several initiatives, but one um, you know I, I really like is twenty four days of open source, um, where and I'll I'll, yeah. I'll I'll find the link later. Where basically it's like an advent calendar, um, yeah. and 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 they find um, repositories that um, have great first issues for people to contribute to. And then you can you can go ahead and make your contribution to a GitHub repository, um, a file of figs, or fix the documentation, or add documentation in the first place. Um, and then <laughs> you you you'll you'll basically submit your uh, a pointer to your pull request to that advent calendar site, and then you know you can see all the contributions piling up. And um, you know it's just a it's such a nice feeling to see people contribute in that way. Yeah, and, and this is, by the way, this is this is not this is not a Google project <laughs> at all. This is um, something that somebody on GitHub started. Yeah, I think I think there's even um, I think Hacktoberfest is coming up mm -hmm. um, in October where people just kind of um, contribute to open source. Um, so I think I think these type of open source things, and that's a really great story um, about the codables because I think I think a lot of people were were still manually like casting their snapshots and hopefully they get yep. the thing that they want to. Um, and it could be disastrous. It couldn't be, um, you could get just some kind of null value if something went wrong and you wouldn't really understand why it was going wrong. And I think obviously like the codable errors that you could get out is obviously also really, really helpful. Um, mm -hmm. And then, but yeah, like, and, and that actually like, um, that actually makes me think of another Firebase product that kind of just like recently came out, um, which is the, the emulator suite, um, which is really, really great. Um, and the emulator suite, um, is, is for me a long time, um, <laughs> like want from Firebase. So, I mean, I've been using Firebase for, um, quite a long time. Um, I won't say how long. Um, it might just scare some of our users. <laughs> um, <laughs> but when, when Fi I've been using it since um, Firebase wasn't even Google, before Google even acquired it. Um, mm -hmm. And Firebase has always been this, um, it was the real-time database first before it became all these other products with like Firestore and all of these other things. But it was it was always something where you had to work online. Um, so you kind of had it like, if you wanted to have access to your database, you always had to work online online. Um, mm -hmm or you had to work with like some kind of cache when Firebase kind of brought your, the cache in when it couldn't connect to a database. Um, you could use the cache version from where you were doing stuff previously, but then it would still be weird because you couldn't sync between team data and stuff like that. Um, and then the, the Firebase, um, the Firebase uh, local, um, the local emulator suite recently, well, actually it wasn't released recently. It's been kind of there for like, I don't know, four years, um, but it wasn't a very, um, it was like a command line based tool um, and there was there was never any kind of UI to it. Um, mm -hmm. And now we have this, this UI emulator, which is really, really great where we can kind of work offline. Um, 
Um, maybe you can kind of like speak around like how that is kind of like, um, I don't know, from your guys' side. For me, it's been fantastic. Um, <laughs> from, um, from, from your guys' side, like kind of like feedback that you guys have been giving. Um, maybe you can even just chat about because I've said some stuff about the emulator suite. Maybe you can also just explain that to our listeners. Um, and I mean, if you guys have heard of any, any kind of like impact that it's actually had on developers working with Firebase. Mm. Yeah. So yeah, as you as you mentioned, uh, it's it's extremely useful um, for for local development. It's um, you know we we wanted to make local development easier. Um, you know, shorten the turn turnaround times, for example. So by using the uh, the local emulators, um, for example, um, it's if if you make changes to your security rules, they will they'll be active instantaneously so no no waiting around for them to become active actually so um that is um that's definitely something that is extremely useful um also if you update your cloud functions they'll be live instantaneously um so really really useful for for shortening your turnaround times um and you know <clears throat> if we think about testing um, and you, um, you know, obviously, um, we all should write unit tests, right? So yeah. um, we, all, we all we all know we should do our testing. But at one point, um, you you want to do some some integration testing, right? And then if you actually have to spin up your um, your production system and then run your uh, integration tests against your or your staging system maybe or you you've got a testing system set up there and it, it lives in the cloud um you know even though everything is usually pretty fast um sending a request and having to wait for it to be fulfilled still takes um a little bit of time and if you can do that locally and against your emulator you will be able to speed up your 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 turnaround and your integration testing times a lot, and this is super super important. Um, so I, I I can I can say from personal experience, the faster your turnaround times are, the more likely you are to um, to test. Right. So for example, uh, a while ago I I was um, I was working um, on. Um, on an application where I did a lot of TypeScript, um, and I said, "Okay, I I I want to set up proper tests and and things like that." And um, coincidentally, um, I watched uh, a video on on Fun Fun Function where um, they showed um, a tool called Wallaby JS, and and this is such a fantastic tool. You you basically uh, it's it injects and. In, into your IDE and I use Visual um, Studio Code. And then as you are writing your tests, you will see the results of your tests instantaneously in your editor. So you're, you're writing your, you, you write your test and then instead of having to compile and run your test and then see the result, no, you'll, you'll see it as you type. So you, you write your test and then you'll see the, the red dot like popping up in in your editor gutter and then you you finish your line and then boom it's great it's so amazing and it made the whole experience of writing tests um it turned writing tests from ah, i need to write tests into i want to write tests right 
and and yeah. just because the, the the developer experience was so much better, and I think this is where um, the the local emulator suite comes in and um, makes um, building integration tests easier and much better experience. You get much quicker feedback, um, and um, maybe it will lead to people consuming less coffee and tea. I don't know. Um, and, and, and if that's a good or a bad thing, that might be one, one of the aspects. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think maybe, um, maybe it would, um, but I think, I think, I think developers would, would also just end up like producing a lot more work, maybe <laughs> they don't have to, they don't have to wait for things. Um, I mean, I think it's even like cool. Um, I've I've actually played around with it a little bit, and it's um, you can run it on your CI even, um, mm -hmm. like in some kind of Docker container, um, and you can actually do like integration tests um, within your CI. Mm -hmm. So like um, you can make make sure that like things pass or the um, whatever your security rules are. You can write unit tests with your security rules um, because mm -hmm. I think that's even been something where um, you write these security rules. Um, there was like, there are, there is like a simulator online, um, that you can test your security rules with. But like, if you're writing them kind of like offline and stuff like that, now you kind of have to deploy them to check if they're actually working and stuff like that. So it's really, really great that like, um, the simulator kind of allows you to kind of do that. And you can even do it through your, your CI pipeline, um, mm. which is really, really cool. So and that's something that I'm pretty like, I'm I'm really enjoying um out of Firebase these days um the the emulator suite um but I am looking forward to um your your stint of combined and hopefully <laughs> um, hopefully that comes out soon um yeah um but yeah for me for my side um it's been it's been really really great I'm not really sure if there's anything else that you wanted to kind of mention out there to um our um our audience if there's anything else that you you felt that we that we maybe missed um um in our chat today um so um i mean we we've um uh, we're always releasing new stuff so it's not like you have to wait for um you know the next big event um for us to release stuff um so um there's there's always something so um pay Pay close attention to our blog where we will announce um, new features. Um, you know, um, just just for example, just recently we added a couple of new features to Firebase hosting, so we made it easier to see your um, see your logs. Um, so you can um, go into uh, cloud logging, which um, you might know as stack driver logging. So you can see your 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 Firebase hosting logs in in there. Um, we added um, support for broadly compression um, out of the box, um, so you you know you can be sure that um, we always use the most optimal compression there. Um, and and also we added um, either internationalization, um, so you know it's 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 pretty flexible. So at at the most easiest, you could basically just go in and create an 18n folder and add language resources for all um, the languages you want to support, where you can uh, do more flexible things like, you know, for example, uh, deliver uh, different uh, um, um, sorts of French text 
for depending on where people actually are from so you know if if people are from canada from from quebec maybe you might want to uh send them the french version of your uh website as well um but not if they are from toronto and you know uh, so <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um so uh, uh there is a lot of flexibility there um yeah but and speaking of events um so we're um, we're already working on content for Firebase Summit, which is coming up. Um, so, um, and and I've seen um, a couple of um, drafts for presentations from from my colleagues, and um, I, it's really amazing stuff that we're putting together. Uh, a lot of a lot of in depth information. Um, so definitely worth coming and, and, and joining the live streams um, and, and uh, everything will be recorded, obviously. So um, even, even if you can't join the live streams, come and, uh, and watch the content after. Yeah. And I think, I think yeah, like um, there, there's been the, um, the Firebase meetups that, that have been happening mm -hmm. um, online. And yeah, I think there's, there's just been a, there's a lot of content floating around in the world at the moment. Um, especially um, Android, Firebase, um, WWDC. It's like just this is all over the place. I can't even keep up anymore. Um, <laughs> but I, yeah. going going slowly through the content and hopefully I'll get there by the end of the year, um, <laughs> get through everything and it'll just be more content <laughs> that yeah. will be coming out. So, yeah, I mean, that, that is one of the, the really amazing things. I mean, um, as, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm pretty sure um, all of us uh, would rather have a situation where we don't suffer from 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 all the negative uh, um, impacts of the pandemic but on the flip side i found that it opened up a lot of opportunities for example i've been to a couple of meetups where we had people attend from all over the place so you know in 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 the local hamburg cocoa pod meet up where usually you you actually just have people from Hamburg attending because we we ran it online we had people join from uh from Cupertino right uh which was um pretty exciting uh and you know i think um the same holds true for the GDE meetups where we have people joining from all over the place i mean uh, uh the the one we where um you and i spoke last week Uh, that yeah. was the UK on GDG meetup. And, you know, I was joining from Germany. You were joining from South Africa. Um, and it was, you know, it was just really cool to, to be together, even though we, we weren't close in a physical, um, sense, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think, I think there's a lot going on. I think, I think everybody's, everybody's doing good in terms of just, also bringing everybody still together, um, um, having quite good inclusion um, mm -hmm. in terms of all of these um, events that are happening. And I think I think the, the knowledge sharing um, is re has been really, really great um, during these times, especially. Yeah, definitely. Oh, uh, which, um, if I may, I, I would like to, to plug the <laughs> uh, the Firebase developers um, channel on Medium. I know not everybody is a big fan of Medium, but if you are on Medium um, and if you write about Firebase, do get in touch with us. Um, we 
this is actually a channel that um, is curated by by the Firebase team, and we are looking for um, content from the community. Most of our content actually is from the community. So if you've got um, um, interesting stuff that you want to write about um, that goes beyond the documentation, um, please do get in touch with us, um, and we we will be happy to have a look at that. Um, we. Uh, we review everything that is submitted. Um, we will run it past the product team. So we, we will ask PMs and engineers to have a look and, and give their feedback. So at the very least, you will, you will get feedback from, from the Firebase team. Um, and, um, if it's good content, we will add it to the channel, um, and people, uh, will benefit from it. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, but yeah, we can even I'll I'll link it down in the show notes. Um, so yeah, um, people that that read the show notes and stuff like that, they'll at least be able to um, be able to to get those um, links there, and then they can go and check out the Firebase um, um, Medium Medium blog, which is really really cool. Yeah, cool. Yeah, and then um, where can people find you online? So if people are, are looking for you online and they. They really enjoyed this podcast um, and they want to find you online for anything in terms of GitHub, Twitter, whatever. Um, well, what are your, your social media details that people can find you on? So I'm 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 Peter Fries everywhere. So uh, if you if you nice. uh, if you figure out how to spell my name, you'll find me on GitHub, um, on Twitter, um, on my blog peterfries.dev, um, and yeah, um, do. Do reach out. I'm I'm happy to chat um, and and help whenever I can. Awesome. Well, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, it's been really really awesome. Um, I've learned a lot, um, and I hope our listeners have learned too. Thanks for having me. That's great. Cool. Cheers. Bye. Thank you for joining us on Talking with Apple's podcast. Cheers. <laughs>